Hello, hey, what is up? How have we all been? I hope it's good. I've been alive, which is always a great start. Um, <laughs> welcome to episode three of Mischief Life. As always, I am Martini Martinez. Today is a fun episode because it is the beginning of one of the best seasons of the entire year. That is spooky season, or as I called it last episode by accident, spooky season, which is just all about rims, I guess. I don't know. But spooky season has always held a special place in my heart. And I wish I could tell you why that is, but I think that that's just how I'm built and how I'm wired. And I don't really question it that much. Uh, it's the same with the paranormal. I think that the paranormal just found me and um, that's how it's supposed to be. So that's how it is. But spooky season, particularly commercial spooky season, I guess you could call it. Meeting costumes and haunted attractions and Miss Halloween pageants and just all of it has always made me the happiest. So I like to just kind of stay there for as long as possible. So now that we are comfortably settled into the beginning of October, I feel like there's a lot to talk about. Um, what I'm going to try to do today is I'm going to try to help out my fellow haunters. And when I say haunters, I mean the people who work in haunted attractions. I've worked in them since 2009. I've only taken a few years off all of them because of weird personal circumstances, um, including this season. I'm not haunting this season for a couple of reasons. One being coronavirus. That's a big one. And two being that I don't really know where the haunts are with everything being closed. I haven't really had a chance to go say hi to people or really get my resume out there or see what's going on. And I'm also um, in the process of getting a little, little extra biz up and running for myself. So I'm not acting this year and it is leaving me with this weird sense of emptiness, I guess. It's just, I can feel that something is missing. I don't want to say not right because I feel like it's the right choice, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. But something's missing. So I want to do what I can to help out La Familia with the situations that they're in. And uh, we're going to get into a whole lot of that. You'll understand what I mean by the situations. So again, without the weird whispers, because we're still talking on a mic from the 70s. And she's not bad for being this old but submitted for the approval of the Mischief Society. Episode three is an ode to the haunters. More of a dedication, a dedication to the haunters. That's much better. So I think that the best way to do this would be to start at the very beginning, because I've heard it's a very good place to start. Thank you, Sound of Music. So, um, 2009, when I was living in Pennsylvania, right outside Philly, there was this building that I was obsessed with, Eastern State Penitentiary. 
it is one i i wish i could explain the connection that i feel to this location but when i walk in there i feel like i'm home and it's very very strange to me but again it's one of those weird things that i just kind of don't question so around 2009 well, not around, in 2009 is when I really started to look into their haunted attraction. And I'm going to be pretty loose with names of haunted attractions because as much as I am very proud to have them as my haunt heritage, I don't know their thoughts about me. (laughs) So I mean, a little bit of loose research, you'll be able to see what I'm talking about, but I'm going to do my best to not name specific shows and names and things like that as much as I can for uh, what I don't have permission to talk about. So the haunted attraction at Eastern State Penitentiary, everybody in the Northeast pretty much knows what it is. But 2009 is when I thought, hey, this will be a really good opportunity for me to see more areas of the historic site then the public really gets to see, which is true because those show sets are so huge that they're permanently built in there. You can't take them down and store them somewhere. Also, where are you going to store them? The whole place is a historic site. So any place that you're going to use as storage is yet another location that the public doesn't get to see, which is not really the goal for most historic sites. I feel like I'm boring you. So I was hired as um, what's called a roamer. Basically, um, our job is to entertain the line. So at a lot of haunted attractions, you'll see these actors walking around. And these actors are hired in this position because we're very good at improv. We have very strong character design. We have very strong ability to get into character, but also get out quickly if necessary. One of the things that I want you to take away from this episode is how difficult the job of being a haunter actually is, because there seems to be this general idea that we go to work, we scream, and then we come home. And, um, you know, that we're, we're covered in food coloring and trying to make everybody pee their pants and that's all we're in it for. And that's not the case with a lot of us. I will say that there are some actors where that's what they want. They want to go out there and have a good time and go home and that's totally fine. But there are others of us that see this as an art and we elevate it as much as we possibly can and we put our souls into it because that's what we do. And I am one of those. Um, Being trained at a big haunted attraction like that as my first haunted attraction, I was trained, I would say, like, obviously really well, but I got a really high level of training really quickly. So um, my first haunt was like a big deal haunt where they wanted me to be as close to perfect as possible. And I think one of the reasons that I was hired is because I didn't really have previous experience. There were no bad habits to break with me. They just taught me the right way the first time, which I greatly, greatly appreciate because I took it with me 
and I use it all the time. Just you learn good habits with this job because you have to. There are very low margins for error because you are so close to the public and so much can go wrong and just it's a lot. So I was hired as a roamer. My job was to entertain lines for people buying tickets and people waiting to get into the attraction. And also at the end, there was um, a little souvenir shop and like place where you could get food and drinks. And I was entertaining people in there as well. Also, if there were actors that were missing from inside of the attraction, they would usually kind of cherry pick from us to fill those spots because it is more important that the people that already paid for the show get a good show. As much as it's nice to have the line performers outside, um, it is usually better to make sure that your show that's inside is as best as it can possibly be. So I got to work in every single section in my first season, which from what I heard was kind of rare, but I was excited about it, obviously, because I got to see absolutely everything that the haunt could offer me because... That was kind of what I was in it for in the beginning, but I really fell in love with it after training. One of the things that was pointed out was that before I go out there and talk to people in the lines, I had to have a character. I had to know absolutely everything about them. Um, you know, they use the example of you are a doctor. You better know where you went to med school because people are going to talk to you and you need to have a cohesive story to make this believable. You need to take those people out of reality and bring them into the world that we're making, which is what every haunt is trying to do. It is entertainment, but you need to remove those people from reality. We don't want you to be sitting there thinking about how you have dishes to do when you go home or, you know, I wonder what my friends are up to forget all that. We want you to come inside and experience something. And that something is fear, which y'all are paying for it. So don't get mad when we scare you. Please don't. That is our job. But we're trying to remove you from that because we want you to experience fear and terror. We want you to be there. And I mean, that's another tangent I could go on. It's so important to know how you react in a fearful situation. Um, one of the things that you'll learn listening to this podcast about me is I had no idea how I react in a stressful situation until I was put into them. And knowing that about myself has greatly reduced the instances that I put myself in that I could get into trouble because I know how I react to certain things. But fear is fun. It's an adrenaline rush. And that's why people come to these things. So the other downside is this job is hard. Anybody who has worked in customer service can tell you that people are not nice. <laughs> As like a general rule, the general population is not so great and it's hard to deal with. So you can only imagine in these situations that it can get amplified. So what I'm going to try to do is take you through a couple of customer interactions just so that you could see what the average haunter deals with. And so you can see maybe how to be a better patron and how to have a better time. And 
you could see the work that goes into these attractions because people used to be amazed that I was out in a cornfield in August working for haunt season because we should all be out in the cornfields in August, man. That's the only way you're going to get it built and make it beautiful and make it perfect. Unless you have like a whole crew, in which case, congratulations. But, you know, I've been at planning meetings in December. I've, you know, this is year round prep for this. And not all of these haunts get to be year round attractions. And it's all a labor of love. The good ones, you can see how much people care. And, you know, the not so good ones, you could see how it was just thrown together. They put a couple of pumpkins in a field and hope for the best. Um, I haven't worked at those. I won't work at those because I don't put a couple of pumpkins in a field and hope for the best with anything I do. I make sure that I've done all the prep work I possibly can. I mean, this podcast, I, <laughs> I've i had a YouTube channel. I've had a video channel. I had, I think, actually three YouTube channels. I've tried so many different things. This podcast, there's actually a podcast on the back burner right now that was supposed to come out before this one, but I can't get it right. And I've recorded it four or five times, but you can't just put some pumpkins in a field and hope for the best. You're not going to get anything out of it. Neither is anybody else. One of my favorite nights at Eastern State, some poor soul had called out of lockdown. So <laughs> I like that I said I wasn't going to say names and I'm already saying trail names. Um, basically lockdown. The storyline of this trail was that you were being processed, like you were you were sent to prison and you were being processed as a prisoner. But while you are being processed, a riot has broken out. So you go through intake, which we will talk about in a little bit, but you go through intake first and then you get into lockdown. The story of lockdown is pretty much you are being escorted to your cell, but there is a riot and everything is completely in chaos. Um, and while I was in lockdown, they put me in an original cell, meaning that this was a cell that somebody stayed in. Original iron bars. And I was losing it as somebody who was completely in love with the building for so long and just loves every inch of it to be surrounded by original iron bars from Eastern State Penitentiary and in that uniform was just by itself an experience. Um, however, there's a little paranormal undertone to this particular situation because when you are dressed as a prisoner at Eastern State, you feel like there are thousands of people with you. That riot felt like a riot. It was, as much as I was scaring everybody else, I was scared, which is strange because my brain 
knows there are 14 of us. Like, <laughs> I knew everybody's name, where they were, how many there were, because you have to when you're a haunter. You need to know where everybody is. But it just felt like there was a real riot. It felt powerful. And it felt like if I wanted to get out of that cell, that there would be thousands of people with me also getting out of their cell. Like, I was mad at guards that I'm friends with, that I was on break with, but I was legitimately mad at them. And just, I slipped into that character so easily. And the more that I think about it years later, and the more experience I had working at Haunts, I don't know if that was just slipping into a character. I feel like something in that building woke up and stayed there with us. I feel like if there are any prisoners still there, that they were with us. And what else is strange is I'm not a, like, super strong person. As we learned from the Officer Muffin episode, episode one, I've got strong legs, but I have noodle arms. Like, there's no muscles <laughs> up here. <laughs> But I was like hanging from bars, like things that I physically don't even think that I would have thought to try. But the feeling was just so intense. And so it made it worse when I got a particular customer. So I'm already in this kind of crazed manic mindset for some reason. And... What I used to do is I used to grab the bars and I would put my face in between the two bars and I couldn't get my head through because they were too close. You can kind of like poke your face out. So I put my face up against those bars, which is super gross because they're rusty and from like forever ago and they're just dirty, but whatever. <laughs> and I would put my face in between the bars and ask people if they can get me a key. Tell them I know that they have the key and just give me it so I can get out because I just want out of this cell. So this guy decides that he wants to play around with me. And I said something along the lines of, do you have a key for me? He told me no. And I said, you're going to go get it for me. And he was like, no, I'm not. So I threatened him because that is my job. I am supposed to scare him. He is supposed to maybe check his back seats when he gets in the car before he leaves. That's what I'm there for. So I threaten him like I would any other customer. <laughs> One of the few jobs where you could be like, yeah, I was supposed to threaten you. But I threatened him and he didn't enjoy that. So he reached in between the bars into my cell. The one thing I will say about being in that cell is I felt very protected because I had a solid perimeter. No one can get within a certain area of me because I'm in my cell. And because I'm in here, you cannot get in. Not so much a sense of being locked up, but a sense of everyone else being locked out. So I felt very safe. There was a very small hole on the floor of the cell that I could swing out of to surprise people and be like, oh, hey, look, bitch, I got out. 
even without you getting me a key, you know, just like a fun little surprise, but you cannot see that. So this guy reaches in between the bars and reaches around my head and grabs a handful of my hair on the back of my head. And he pushes my face against the bars and starts starts telling me off for threatening him while he has a handful of my hair. So his girlfriend gets really upset and is like, let her go, let her go, let her go. So I have to now, since I don't want him hurting any of my coworkers, follow him because there is no security in that room. So I have to go and stay behind him. And now I have to signal every other actor to not scare him because at this point he has been deemed a danger because of me. I have decided like no one else is going to have to get grabbed or groped or pushed into bars. No one else is going to get injured. So I'm going to keep an eye on you and I'm going to let everybody know not to come up to you and not to scare you and you don't get the show. So basically you've paid us money. You got to be a badass with one actor who will now ruin the show for you for the rest of your stay. So if you want to waste your money and do that, cool. But I wasn't down. So I ruined everybody else. Once I got to a checkpoint that had security, you know, I just went up to the security guard. Hey, this guy grabbed my hair, pushed me into some bars. He needs to get out. And that guy got kicked out with no refund, which is how it should be. Because those are people and you don't get to do that to people. But that kind of mindset seems to leave when it comes to this. And I don't understand why, but it does. Um, I had another friend who she was supposed to pretend that she was like a mannequin in a chair. She was also in a prisoner uniform and she had jumped up to scare a group and the next group was a little bit too close. So she jumped up and scared the first group. The first group left the room. The second group was coming in and the second group had seen her sit down. So she was not going to jump scare them because the scare was already ruined. And she wanted to make sure that the next actor in the room after her had ample time to reset so that they could scare them. So she sacrificed her scare for the next room, which is common practice. And if it's not, should be. If you have to sacrifice your scare so that you can kind of get the show timed right for them for the rest of their their stay then that's what you need to do. However, this girl wanted to prove that she knew more than my friend did, which seems strange, but okay. So she goes up to my friend and she starts yelling in her face. And she says, I know you're real. I know you're real. Get the F up. I know you're real. And my friend is not reacting. So she keeps yelling and her friend's behind her and is like, hey, we, we should keep going. But this girl decides she doesn't want to leave, grabs my friend by the hair and punches her in the nose and breaks it. Um, so now my friend has to, with a nosebleed, get away from this girl, come back to the break room, explain what happened. And this girl has to go into the next room where 
we have had to signal the next actor to be like, hey, nobody scare them because they're punching people in the face. And it's so common that we're getting punched in the face and grabbed and hit. I mean, I have already been talking for 25 minutes and I'm not even through like one night of the haunt. That's how crazy this is. Um... I mean, why do we keep going back? Well, because we love our job and that's not the majority, but the amount of times that we get hit and touched and grabbed is insane. So, I mean, the police found out that this girl was high or on something. We don't know what, but obviously she got in trouble for all this. I mean, hopefully lesson learned, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And obviously these people like paid money and then didn't get a show, which is not ideal. Anyway, the next night I have to be a guard in intake, which I was so excited about. I wanted to be a guard from the time that I found out that I could be a guard. That is all I wanted. Why? I don't know. But my soul was like, we need to be a guard. So they give it to me and I'm ecstatic. I put on the costume and I am terrified. Absolutely terrified. That whole night, I wouldn't go on break by myself. I wouldn't be in a scene by myself. I was constantly looking over my shoulder, checking behind me because it felt like no matter where I went in that prison, it felt like people, not someone, people were watching me and it felt like they were, like I could feel hatred. And it amazed me because last night I hated them and then dressed as a guard, I could feel, it was like I could feel my own hatred from the night before. And it's honestly one of the most wild experiences I've ever had to be able to flip-flop between that amount of hatred and then that amount of fear from what I was last night. It was, it's so hard to explain because the only thing that I could say to make it make sense is that those feelings, I think, were fueled by experiences that I didn't have. And I hope that that makes some semblance of sense. But it just seemed like as a prisoner that I was so fed up with things that hadn't actually happened to me. And then as a guard, it seemed like I had this fear of something that has happened before or has always been threatened to happen, but I didn't know what that was. It will forever boggle my mind. <laughs> Just forever. Getting into character is one thing, but feeling those feelings is something completely different. You can ascertain what those emotions might feel like and try to get yourself to act in that way, which would be getting into character. But actually feeling that way, I don't think that that's supposed to be able to happen. 
And I mean, if it is, then I was a really great haunter at Eastern State and then just faked it the rest of the time. And I don't think that was the case, but I don't know another way to explain it. But let's move on because we've been talking about Eastern State for a half hour and I feel like I could keep doing that for ages. (laughs) Um, After that, we move over to New Jersey and this haunted attraction was on a farm and I made so many friends at this farm and oh, I don't talk to all of them like daily or regularly and you guys all know who you are if you're listening, but oh my God, I love you. <laughs> the thing with haunting, the people that you haunt with, it requires you to have so much trust and it requires you to get so close and have conversations and break down all these mental and emotional barriers that you have to be able to make these these scenes come to life that you make friends at such a high rate of speed. And also, all the people that are at these haunted attractions are people that know that you're going to get hit and punched and choked and you're going to get hurt at these jobs and they're down for it. All of us have that intense love for the experience that we're giving to people. So I feel like we all just kind of mesh together so easily and so well that you you make lifelong friends. And even if you don't stay at that haunt, you still have so much respect for everybody that you worked with that you just you're friends forever, even if you like never talk again. So this haunt I was at for a couple of years. One of my friends, we were we were going to be in a scene together and um, it ended up not happening. I ended up getting moved to somewhere else. But I do remember having conversations with him because he was supposed to be an assailant and I was supposed to be a victim. And the thing about that is, you know, the assailant and the victim in all of these scenes that you see, you can tell if they're friends or not, because, you know, to be a believable assailant, you need to like grab this person and be dragging this person around and just, and you have to be so careful while you do it. So then your quote unquote victim has to have so much trust in you that you are going to be careful with them in order for them to be able to be a good victim and just like safe words come into play and it gets so complex. And it's one of the reasons that I love the industry so much is because all this like weeks and weeks of conversation and choreography and safe words and what happens if this happens, what happens if this happens, like weeks of it for you to do the same four second scene 30 something times a night And it's just, to me, that's magic. I mean, I had guys that were like my bodyguards and we had security too, but I had bodyguards. The guy that was supposed to be my assailant, uh, we got moved to the wagon ride. I was a narrator on there. So my whole job, my whole entire job was to memorize and deliver the script, which I helped write. 
And then um, I also was kind of security. If you were doing anything stupid on my wagon, um, you're under my jurisdiction. I also was in charge of delivering things to actors. If anybody ran out of water, if anybody got hurt. So I was kind of a liaison between out on the trail and back at base. It's so much more than you think it is. And I completely understand why people think like, oh, there's this girl on the wagon and she's just here to tell me a story, but I'm doing so much more than that. Also, if anybody needs to take a break and that scene's too empty, I ride out on a wagon with another narrator and I get pulled off and then for the rest of the night I'm out there until that break's over. It's so much more than it looks like. The main story that I have from this haunt, it's probably one of the scariest and that's why I'm going to try to tell it really slow because I just want to make sure that we understand what happened. <laughs> I'm narrating this wagon. Uh, my, my bodyguard is driving the wagon. So he's in the tractor. I have a microphone. So if anything happens, there are a couple of, you know, code words that I have set up that I can say and the wagon will stop or, you know, he will call someone, whatever that co code word means to do, he will do it for me. And I trust that he will do it for me. I have to, I don't have another choice because we're in the middle of the woods. There's no security guard on my wagon. It's just me and my, my dude bro who's driving me. So as we're progressing through the scenes, there's one man who's with his friends and his girlfriend. He's ruining the show for himself, being like, I see you there, I see you there, I see you there. Okay, have a good time. Like, whatever. You are literally ruining the show for yourself and everyone around you. But there's nothing that I can do about that. So while he's pointing out other actors, I thought, you know, maybe I should just teach this guy a lesson. And I stood beh behind him. And as he's like, I see you, I see you, I see you. I put the mic up to my mouth and I get really close to his ear and I go, yeah, you didn't see me though. And I startle him because he doesn't know that I'm behind him. And he like rolls back and screams. For me, that's a win. And for me, that situation is over. You have learned your lesson. Hopefully you stop pointing out all the actors and ruining the show for other people. That was it on my end of the experience, but apparently on his end, it was not because I needed to be taught a lesson. So as we get to our drop-off point, our drop-off point is not the same as our pickup point because when we were planning this trail, we wanted everyone in the line to see that the wagon left and it was full and it came back and it was empty. We just wanted that little, that little bit of magic of like, where did everyone go? <laughs> so then when people ask, we would be like, oh, they died. The last wagon caught on fire. Like just, it was just another little extra like oomph of, of anticipation and fear. And, you know, just we wanted that. So we planned it that way. We made it happen. That meant that the drop off point was in the woods. So there are no scenes close by. There's nothing. 
And what is supposed to happen is the script ends. We say, have a great night. We tell you how to safely exit the wagon and you are escorted to a trail in the woods that will take you to the exit where all of the food and the bonfires and the, the music is so that you can continue to either go to other trails or just party and hang out and laugh and have a good time. So something that we hadn't thought of until this happened to me <laughs> was this guy being mad. I see him talking to his friends. They're like standing up and they're, they're in the process of leaving. And he says something to the two guys and the girl and they leave, but he doesn't. So I thought maybe he lost something. Um, it's very common for people's like wallets to fall out or, you know, their phone drop, like something. So I went to see what was wrong to see if I could help him. He said, Hey, is there anything that you need help with? This guy is like, no, I'm fine. So I turn around and I start wrapping up my mic cord so I could put it under my seat. And, um, the guy in the tractor is like, can we go? And I said, not yet. There's someone, I think he's looking for something. He said, okay, cool. When he turns the tractor back on, this guy walks up behind me, unbeknownst to me, and he puts his hands around my neck and starts to, like, choke me. Well, not his hands. He had, like, his arm around my my neck, like his elbow, and he starts choking me. And I can't knock on the window of the tractor, which is the only way that the driver can hear me at this point because the motor is on and I don't have my microphone. And I also can't yell because I'm choking. To me, this seemed to go on for um, hours, but it was honestly, maybe if I had to, to guess a minute or two before my friend Beck noticed that something was wrong and I'm not exactly sure what they saw that made them come check. Um, I'm wondering if maybe it was brake lights still being on something, but something made them notice that my wagon had not moved and Beck and I had already become such great friends. We're still the best of friends. I love you, boo. You flea bag but uh beck had noticed something was weird and had come to check on me i don't know if they just got a vibe or what was up but they came and saw that i was being choked essentially and um proceeded to yell for security and yell at this guy and he let me go and he booked it down the trail, I guess, to meet his friends. And, um, you know, security came running once somebody could physically yell for them. And uh, I sent security after them. And uh, Beck came and checked on me to see if I was okay. Which, I mean, I was okay as, as one can be after that. But yeah, it was, it was an intense experience. And, I at least every year wonder what would have happened if Beck wasn't as experienced, if they hadn't thought to come check on me 
Um, like I regularly wonder what would have happened or if I would have been okay, which <laughs> I was in the middle of the woods with a uh, driver who couldn't hear me over the engine and was waiting for me to like bang on the window to move. I don't know how long it would have taken him to come check on me, but literally there were only, if Beck hadn't come and check and my driver took too long, the situation could have ended very, very differently. So I'm just forever thankful that somebody checked on me. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Beck because they saved my life and I wouldn't be able to talk if they didn't. So thank you. Oh my goodness. Okay. That got real heavy real fast. I, to be perfectly honest, severely underestimated the amount of stories that I have. I really expected to not have this much to talk about about the subject, which is hilarious to me because it is my second obsession. So I don't know why I'm surprised, but I genuinely am. Um, so if you would like more haunt stories on the next episode, which is October 24th, still solidly in spooky season, if you just want to have a haunt related spooky season, um, please reach out to me on the Facebook page, send me a message, email me at mischieflife at outlook.com. Let me know that that's what you want and y'all will get a part two to this. If you want uh, the other episode that was planned, uh, which the other episode was going to be what got me interested in the paranormal, kind of my first paranormal experience and how I kind of came to terms with the fact that uh, traditional science wasn't going to be able to help me figure that one out and started this over 20 year journey. Um, also, let me know that. And yeah, I mean, I have plenty more haunt stories. I've worked at a whole bunch and we're only at the second one. So please let me know what you guys want so that I can provide that for you because that is what I'm here for. Uh, you guys, you know, sit there and listen to me talk. The least I can do is make sure that I'm talking about something that you're interested in. So please, I'd be so happy to hear from you. I am so thankful for every single one of you and I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Um, the basis of this episode, what I really wanted to get across is that haunt actors and haunt owners and costume designers and makeup artists and the people selling tickets and selling food and in charge of the games, all of these people at haunted attractions are working so hard. And they're putting their heart and soul and blood and sweat and tears literally and figuratively into absolutely everything that they touch to bring this experience to you. And they're doing that all normally. Now, the ones that are open are doing it during a pandemic. 
and they're still providing the same level of love and care, if not more so trying to keep themselves and you safe, please, when you go, be respectful. I don't understand why I have to say that, but I'm sure I don't have to say it to you guys, but just pass it on. Please be respectful. To all of my haunt actors out there, I am with you in spirit. If you need advice, I am here. Please be safe. Please, please give them nightmares. Do not hold anything back. Please be respectful when you go. Follow all their rules. Make sure that you understand that you might get dirty. Um, and if you get touched by accident, it was an accident. If you get touched on purpose, it's because the haunt stated that they could touch you on purpose. We are a really weird, dysfunctional family. But all of you are in my heart. And I am here if you need me. I will be back out in the scenes with you in the trenches soon. I'm more excited for that day than you could possibly imagine. I love you all. Thank you for listening.